Father, we love you. Um, we love you and we thank you. Um, we thank you for the fact that just what, what Brett just got to lift up. Um, you have redeemed us by your love, your blood. Um, man, how great is that, Father? Um, Lord, we really want tonight to be glorifying to you. We want to be honoring to you. Uh, would you just get this um, broken vessel out of the way? Would you speak to us? Um, would it be your words that we hear tonight? And, um, and would that not just stir emotion in us, but Lord, would, um, would seeing you and, and getting a better glimpse of you and being challenged by your word, would that, um, would that stir transformation in our life that we could just never, we could never go back? Uh, that's what we desire and we ask, and it's only going to happen because of who you are and through your power. And so that's what we beg for in the name of Jesus. Amen. I want to share truth with you that has ruined my life. Um, a, a truth in this idea that um, if you're a note taker, this, this is the principle. It's that perspective dictates action. So my perspective, your perspective dictates your action, my action in those kind of ways. If I'm approaching um, an intersection and I see the light is red... My, it's going to dictate an action of me hitting the brake. If I approach it and it's green, it's going to dictate me not hitting the brake. If I approach it and it's yellow, if it was my wife, it means slamming on the brake. And if it's me, it means slamming on the gas. Um, but our, um, our perspective is going to dictate our action. Um, that's where I'm going to go for really the next 30 minutes. And we're going to jump into the book of Acts, and we're going to talk about what that looks like in the context of the series. But first, I want to take a step back. I want to take a step back and I want to talk about really what we're doing as a ministry and really kind of reiterate the vision that Tyler cast a couple of weeks ago. So this will be good to catch you up if you're new, if this is your first time, uh, this will be good, you'll, you'll be fully caught up. And if it is your first time, welcome. We're really glad you're here. Seriously, welcome. Uh, you should come early and get free food. You should get connected to us, go on the ski trip. It's going to change your life, all those things. Um, so a couple of weeks ago, Tyler opened up the Word of God, and, and as we're casting vision for this series, the idea of turning the world upside down, he preached from Matthew 28, uh, the Great Commission, this idea of Jesus, as he ascended, telling his disciples to go and make disciples, right, to go and spread, and, and what happened was the world got turned upside down. Somewhere between 11 followers of Christ, and now 2,000 years later, somewhere close to an estimated 2 billion people who profess Jesus Christ as their Savior. Something happened. Even the context of turning the world upside down is a verse in Acts where non-believers are looking at the believers and they're saying, these are the guys who are turning the world upside down. So what we're doing is we're going through the series on what does it look like to be that kind of a disciple? What does it look like to be that kind of a follower of Christ that then makes disciples and does this in a radical way? How can we be a part in this city, in your community, in this world of what God is doing as he just turns our world upside down, as he turns Fort Worth upside down. We want to pray big at this church. So that's where we're going. So it's kind of the anatomy of a disciple, a real disciple. So last week in Acts 4, we kind of see this theme that you've got to get it to give it. Right? We see in Acts 4, Peter and John are dragged before the council. And, uh, and the council's like, man, you guys have got to stop sharing about Jesus Christ. Y'all have got to cut that out, man. It's killing us. And, and their response to this religious council is, we cannot but say, share what we have seen and what we have heard. We can't help it. We cannot help it. We have had an encounter with the Lord. We've, we've encountered something, and all we can do is just share it with people. And these 
these bold disciples who months earlier were scared to death, were hiding, were denying Jesus even existed, the little girls when they would ask him. I mean, this radical thing flipped upside down. And now here they are standing before this religious council saying, sorry guys, do what you got to do, but we're going to share for what we have seen and what we've heard. So last week, if you were to summarize, okay, what is, what is an anatomy of a disciple last week? I'd probably summarize it as a disciple is one who has encountered Jesus. A disciple is one who has encountered Jesus. So we have got to have encountered Jesus in order to then turn around and give it to others. And not just once, right? Not just a one-time thing. We've got to be in a relationship with Christ where we're constantly encountering him. Not one time at youth camp or one time at church, but we've got to be in a relationship that our lives are being transformed. Because I believe we are in a room where no one has arrived. We're all wrestling with sin. We're a bunch of imperfect followers of Christ or people who are searching or people who aren't sure, people who are maybe angry at Christ, but we're all somewhere in this relationship with him and we have not arrived. And so is our life constantly being transformed by this relationship with him? Is he constantly meeting us and telling us how much better he is than whatever it is we're choosing other than him? So a, a part of a disciple is one who has encountered, um, one who has encountered Jesus. So tonight would be this. We're going to be in Acts 5. And I think where we're going to end up is this picture of a disciple is one who has the perspective of Jesus. A disciple is one who has the perspective of Jesus. And, uh, and it's, a, it's a huge thing. It's a key thing. Um, and so that's really where we're going big picture. Um, Acts 5. If you've got your Bibles, turn there. Um, we'll also throw it up on the screen if that's easier for you. While you flip there, I've got to tell you a story. It's going to tie in, I promise, a story about perspective. A few of you guys who have known me for a while have probably heard this story, so I apologize. Um, but it's, it's a crazy story, so hang with me. My cousin, he decided he was going to throw a birthday party for a friend of his. So he has this great idea. Man, instead of just throwing a birthday party for my friend, I could do a surprise birthday party. And then he one-ups himself and he says, instead of throwing a surprise birthday party for my friend, how about me and my other buddies... We kidnap him, we wrap him up in a blanket, duct tape him, put him in a trunk, drive him to the church where the party is, pop open the trunk, and then there we surprise him with happy birthday. So that was his idea. Which, half of this room is thinking, that is a brilliant idea. That's what I thought when I heard it. It's like, what a gr- why haven't I thought of that? Instead of just the traditional surprise, you duct tape somebody, put him in a trunk, they think they're going to die, you drive him somewhere... Pop the trunk, surprise, it's your birthday. We're all here to celebrate, right? The other half of the room is like, they have the gift of discernment and they're thinking that's a horrible idea. And it is a horrible idea because here's how it played off. They go to the lake. They say, they get a whole bunch of their buddies and they say, hey, his his name was Michael. So my cousin's buddy is Michael. And he says, hey, come fishing with us. It's your birthday. So that evening we're all going to go fishing. So you go to Lake Ray Hubbard in Dallas, which is where we're from. And they're fishing at Lake Ray Hubbard. And then slowly, one by one, you know, this, this group of guys kind of start sneaking away, excuses, I gotta go to the bathroom, I gotta go check on so-and-so, I gotta, whatever. And they start sneaking away until eventually there's just two guys, it's Michael and one other guy, sitting at a lake fishing. And then that guy's like, hey, man, it's weird that those guys are gone. I'm gonna go check on him. So he disappears, leaving the birthday boy by himself at a lake, right in the middle of nowhere, fishing, kind of creeped out, it's starting to get dark. And he starts thinking, man, this is, um, this is weird. Like, where, where did all my friends go? So he, like, leaves his stuff. He's like, I'm going to go check on him. So he starts walking back to the car to figure out where his buddies are. And as he's walking back to the car, he gets 
to the horizon where you can see the parking lot in, in the distance, and he sees three people who are dressed in all black because they snuck away, changed clothes, put on ski masks, gloves, all black clothes. So he walks up and he sees three people in all black with ski masks and gloves standing in between him and the car. And then he sees out of a corner of his eye a couple of other people sliding over to his left in all black with ski masks and gloves. And a couple of people in all black in ski masks and gloves sliding over to the right, flanking him. So clearly, he thinks, this is Al-Qaeda. <laughs> they have targeted Garland, Texas for some reason, and Lake Ray Hubbard. And they have killed my friends, and now I'm about to die. So his perspective, and rightfully so, is I'm about to die. He drops all stuff and just starts screaming and running. Well, they, because they're good friends and they want him to have this amazing surprise birthday party because he's got all his friends and family waiting for him at the church, they chase him down and they tackle him. And, and here's the thing, and he, this is where things get weird. Um, so it, here's one of the, it's already weird. Uh, but you, you think like, oh, I'm going to wrestle this guy, right? But if you think you're about to die, right, you don't wrestle fair. So Michael is biting people until they bleed. Right? He's trying to gouge a guy's eye out. He's just, I mean, there's like ribs getting broken and because he thinks he's, and he's screaming and they've got duct tape and they're trying to get it and ever, and people are getting punched in the jaw and they're punching Michael just out of their short fuse and it's just this, and then they, somehow he gets back into the water and the duct tape gets wet and then there's struggling some more and he's screaming. And here's the real kicker that just makes me cringe even more. Michael's a solid guy, loves the Lord. And so Michael this whole time is yelling while he's like trying to gouge his eye out and like bite his finger off. While he's doing all that, he is yelling, no joke, man. I'm I'm not making this up. He's yelling, in the name of Jesus, I forgive you. Because oh. he thinks they just killed his friends. And so he's yelling, in the name of Jesus, I forgive you. And then he's like, eyeball out of socket, <laughs> step on jaw, right? Like that's, that's what's happening. And eventually, obviously, these guys are like, this is not going the way we planned when there was just a bunch of bros sitting around a house talking about how great of an idea this is. And so they start taking off their masks and, and just, you know, and, and he sees and they're like, hey, just kidding. Sorry. He just loses. He just weeps. He just weeps and falls to the ground and just is crying and sobbing and sobbing. And he's just a wreck, just a total wreck. And then they're like, hey, man, you got to go to this party. <laughs> All, all these people are waiting for you. Like that girl you're trying to impress, she's there. You got to stop crying and we got to go. He's probably like peed his pants. Like, I don't know the whole, I wasn't there. Uh, so they get in the car and they go and he gets to the party and he just cries more. His mom's there and he's hugging and crying. And they're all getting out of the car and eyeballs dangling and like limbs shattered. So it's the idea of this. Here's where I'm going with that. It's the idea of... Um, our perspective dictates our action. Our perspective dictates our action. If I think I just had all my friends murdered and I'm about to be murdered, it's going to dictate how I operate in that situation. As believers, what we're going to see in Acts 5 is we're going to see a group of disciples who operate in a certain way. It's a narrative. We're just going to see kind of the actions of what happened. But we're going to see actions that we should stop and say, what in the world is dictating that? What kind of perspective do these guys have that that is their response to this whole situation? So that's where we're going. 
and that's why we're going there. Um, once we read this, real easy outline for those of you guys who are note takers and, and need the, need the follow-alongs, we're going to read the Word of God. We believe it's powerful. We're going to read it. It's a big chunk, so stay with me. Um, we're going to read it, and then we're just going to ask what happened. Why did it happen? And then what does it mean to us? That's what we're doing tonight, and, and we're, uh, we're going to glorify God in doing it. So, Acts chapter 5. We're going to pick up in verse 27. Uh, let, me, let me fill you in a little bit. If you were here last week, you saw Peter and John get dragged before the court. It's going to be a very similar situation, except now they've been out. They've been sharing Christ with people, preaching the gospel, talking about this risen Jesus Christ. Jesus was who he said he was. They get dragged back into a court. This time, people are going to be even more angry. So, uh, so that's where we're at. Verse 27. And when they had brought them, referring to the disciples, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sin. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Okay, so stop right there. So Peter, again, I love this. The apostles at every turn, they get dragged before the council. Guys, quit talking about Jesus. And the apostles say, not only are we not going to quit talking, we're going to use this as another opportunity to profess who Jesus is in the gospel. So he, he drops the gospel bomb on him again. This is their response. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamil, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. So one guy's like, hey, wait, wait, before we kill him, hang on, let's talk about this. You guys wait in the hall, wait in the hall, we're going to talk. And he said to them, men of Israel, so he's trying to talk the council into not killing them, men of Israel, <clears throat> Take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Theodos rose up, claiming to be someone, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. So he's like, hey, remember that one guy with the weird name? Right? He rose up. He had all those followers. When he died, what happened to all his followers? They dispersed. And then also he reminds them, and Judas, the Galilean, rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So, in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan, uh, for if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it'll fail. But if it's of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat him. And charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Stop right there. So they get brought in. Let's kill him. This one guy's like, hang on, hang on. We've seen this happen before. This great dynamic leader has all these followers. He dies. The followers are maybe excited for a second. They disperse. It's happened twice in our recent history. Let's do the same thing with this guy. This Jesus guy, he's not around anymore, so we should be good to go. They'll eventually get bored. Let's not kill them. What do they do instead? They beat them. And they flogged them, and they stripped them down, and abused them, and then they send them out. 
Look at verse 41. This is their response. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Are you kidding me? Do, do we see what just happened there? They get brought in. They almost get killed. One guy talks them into, hey, let's not kill them yet. And then instead of getting killed, they get beaten. And let's, put, let's paint the, the picture here. Stripped, beaten. Essentially, they got tortured because of Jesus. And these men, these great, 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 great grandfathers of, of my faith, right? These brothers, they leave, it says they leave rejoicing that they were considered worthy to suffer shame for his name, to suffer dishonor for the name of God. That's radical. That's crazy is what that is. And that's something that I think oftentimes I read in scripture and I brush over and I think, oh, interesting. So tonight, as we're talking about what an, an, the anatomy of a disciple, the kind of disciple that God uses, only God, right? This is only a God thing. But the kind of people, what he does in people's lives when the world gets turned upside down, when radical movements happen, when people's lives get transformed, this is a part of that anatomy. They seemingly, they seemingly had this joy, this ability to rejoice completely despite circumstances, completely despite the fact that they had just gotten beaten, stripped, abused, and then their immediate response is rejoicing that, man, we praise God that we got to get beaten. It'd be like, man, praise God that we got to lose the Super Bowl or praise God that I got in a car wreck. I mean, that is so counterintuitive, I think, to our Christian culture today. And so we've got to take a second and we've got to say, this action is bizarre and radical. Why, why does it happen? Their joy is not contingent on their circumstances and it testifies, it testifies to God's glory. And this isn't unique also in Acts 5. This isn't a one-time occurrence. This is all throughout the book of Acts. People are just getting... just whooped, right? They're just getting whooped and they're leaving being, praise God, I got whooped. Or Paul's getting shipwrecked and he's saying, for the glory of God. There is a, Paul even later, the apostle James starts his letter by saying, count it all joy when you face trials of various kinds. There is a culture within the disciples, these radical world-changing disciples that um, certainly for my life, I wonder, man, where is that? There is a, a, a stark contrast between that kind of living and me who uh, gets really indignant when I get stuck in traffic that I didn't anticipate on, right? Who, uh, who gets indignant about maybe like a worship service that, man, there, there's just too many songs that I wasn't super familiar with, so I just wasn't digging it, right? Like my posture oftentimes I'm revealed as that. Or when I go through hard, hard times or things don't go my way, I say, woe is me. And, and this perspective, the perspective these people have is, is revealing this action of, man, thank God that you trusted me. Thank you, Lord, for trusting me to get whooped for you. More glory to you. I want that. We want that as a church. Do we want that as a body? Do we want to be a community? Do you want to be people who say, I want that kind of a radical faith? That is the radical faith that this book is leading us to. How great would it be to have that kind of a joy? 
right? Some of the people who've walked with us and know some of the hard stuff that my wife and I have been through. It's been so hard, but it's also been so neat at the same time and how God's been glorified through it. This is the character of a radical disciple. Uh, I have been to um, several, lots, unfortunately, lots of funerals um, where those funerals were sad and, and we weeped, but they were funerals of believers, young people, old people who loved the Lord, and those funerals um, were incredible worship services. People left those funerals in awe of God. Incredible. Some of the sweetest worship I've ever had has been at people's funerals who loved the Lord. And man, we grieve, and we are sad, and we weep, and we miss, and we, all of those things, and it hurts. But we don't grieve those who are in Christ the way those who don't have hope do. That's, that's the kind of thing that the world looks at. And the world says, that doesn't make sense to me. That joy, what they profess, what they talk about, the way they live, their actions, that doesn't fit into our worldview. That's how people get their world flipped upside down. That's how the community at the time, after this happened in Acts 5, they go out, they keep preaching every day. This was the beginning of a revival. It was the first time they had seen in, in the, since Pentecost this kind of persecution and this kind of worship happen. Um, crazy awesome stuff. But how does that happen? How do we have that? And, and it would be a real dangerous thing if we set up here and, and Tyler and I are picking apart these characteristics and, and we say, man, see this characteristic? Have joy despite circumstances. Because that's the application, right? It's this joy that, that defies circumstances, not happiness, not that we're all giddy, not that we don't weep and are sad, but we have this rejoicing. How dangerous would that be? if we didn't actually have a proper perspective of where that comes from, right? If we didn't really deal with heart issues of how that actually happens. It, one of two things would happen. If this sermon was just, let's stop there, you guys, have that kind of joy. When crappy stuff happens, just look like an idiot and say, yeah, go, God, go, right? Two things are going to happen. Either one, you're going to get really frustrated as a, as a believer. You're going to get really frustrated because you're just trying to do the action that you see in Scripture without the heart motivation. So you're going to get really frustrated or we're just going to be fake. Those are, those are two options if, if we're not doing this in, in the right way, if we're not abiding and doing this. We're just going to be fake. We're going to say, oh, I know this is the correct response. Right? And we are, those who have grown up in church, those who know the game, my testimony, man, I know the game, I know the rhetoric, right? I know what to say, I know when someone dies how I'm supposed to talk about it, and I know, right, we know that language. That's not what we want. So uh, here's what I want to do tonight. Um, I want us to ask that question. <clears throat> Why? Why did this happen? What was their perspective? Um, there's a lot of places we could go for that. Uh, really, it's throughout the New Testament. Um, it's throughout the entire Bible. Uh, I want to show you guys something in Matthew 10. <clears throat> Matthew 10 is heavy. It's going to be up on the screen. <clears throat> Jesus says this in Matthew 10 to his disciples. A lot of the same guys who we see later in Acts 5 are sitting here listening to Jesus Christ say this to them. In verse 34, he says, Do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother 
and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemy will be those of his own household. Whoever loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Verse 38, listen to this, guys. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The disciples, who we see later in Acts 5, their disciples, the apostles there, they heard Jesus say that. This bold calling. Some of probably Jesus' most radical words. There's, um, there's like four different sermons there, right? And we could, we, I, I wish we could just stay in, in Matthew 10. We could just do that all night. There's one thing I want to just rise to the top of this. I want it to be that the perspective that Jesus is offering us as followers, the perspective from the beginning he's offering his disciples, it's radical. And it's a call to die. It's a call to die. It's not unique to Matthew 10. It's all throughout all of the Gospels, all of Jesus. Galatians, Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. It's Christ who lives within me. So the life I now live in the flesh, I live in faith in the one who loves and laid down his life for me. We see it in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, you've been bought with a price. Your life is no longer your own. There is an overarching theme in God's call to his disciples. If we're serious about being disciples of God, there's an overarching theme that that is a call to die. The gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ, is only powerful because of who he is. And then it's powerful for us because we're saying we're surrendering to that. We want to be dead with him and alive in Christ. Um, That is, uh, that's what God asks for us. I want to apply that in three ways, and then we're going to, we're going to bring this thing home, but I want to apply it in three ways, um, what, what that looks like for us <clears throat> to follow him, to be a disciple, to have that kind of a, uh, a radical calling. Um, we have to see that calling. Um, what do we do with this, right? We, um, we hear, great, our, our lives are not our own, uh, we hear... You know, this Jesus wants me to, to die. Great. What, what, do we, what do we do with that? What is the perspective that we need to walk away with? <clears throat> Can we see it? Um, if you're in this room, yeah, if you're in this room, and, uh, and this is kind of the first time you're hearing this aspect of the gospel, right? Maybe you grew up in church. Maybe you haven't been around church a whole lot, but people don't necessarily jump straight into Matthew 10. Hey, welcome to the church. By the way, it's going to divide families. This gospel is going to ruin your life. It's going to, you know, you got to pick up your cross and follow him. That's what Jesus is about, right? That's not necessarily on a lot of billboards for churches. So if you're here and it's kind of the first time that you're hearing, okay, this gospel, this calling for, for me to follow God is for me to, for me to die, for me to, for me to not live for myself, for me to not be about myself. Maybe not physical martyrdom in our sense, although clearly it was for almost all of these disciples they lived that. Peter, Peter, who's standing in that assembly, he gets later in church history crucified upside down. Right? He, he heard that word of Jesus. <clears throat> so if you're in here and you're like, man, I've never really heard that. I, I want you to hear it. Application one, see it. Just see the perspective. See the perspective that to be a radical disciple, 
Jesus' perspective is he wants you to come and he wants all of you. He doesn't want part of you. He doesn't want you on Wednesday night or Sunday morning. He doesn't want you in this sliver of life or that. He wants all of you. He wants all of you. The good news for that, the reason why we're not just a bunch of downers in here, the reason why we keep showing up to this thing over and over again, is because he's worth it. So if you're in this room and you're like, man, okay, this guy's talking about this being a disciple means, man, my life is not my own and he wants, and God wants all of my life. I don't exactly know what that looks like for you, brother or sister. I don't. I don't know what that surrendering of your life looks like. I know it doesn't usually happen all at once. It certainly didn't for me. It's this gradual thing where he says, Ben, I want all of you. And I say, man, you got me. And then he's like, okay, but what about that? I'm like, oh, crap. Okay, fine. And then while I'm handing it, I'm taking something back, right? And it's this, it's this sanctification growing process, but he wants all of you. But the good news is he's worth it. I want you to hear that. He's worth, he's worth following. And I would, I would argue, if you're hearing this kind of for the first time and you're checking this thing out, I'd argue, how's it working for you? <clears throat> How is running your own life working for you? So far, right? Honestly, I'm saying this out of love. I'm not saying it arrogantly. I'm really saying it out of love. How is being the God of your own life working for you? And I don't know the answer to that, but if the answer is pretty freaking crappy, then that's not because I guessed well. It's because the Holy Spirit has you here for a reason. He wants you to hear that for a reason. And he wants you to know, man, I got something better for you. And yes, I want all of you. And yes, I do want that. No, no, not this. No, I want that. But surrendering it to me is going to be better. It's going to be better. I am better, I promise. And then tomorrow morning you'll forget, and I forget, and then i got to re-surrender it. So, application. The perspective of Jesus is to, to die, to follow him with everything. See it. So if this is the first time you're seeing it, I want you to see it. Here's another thing, and this is sobering. Probably the majority of the rest of this room is like me. Who, how many times have we heard that? How many times has preacher, I, every time I talk, right? How many times do we sit here and hear, okay, the big reveal was God wants all of me? Like, we've heard that one before. Like, that was the big reveal of Acts 5? That's the big application point? And yet we're sitting here so inoculated to Jesus that it hasn't really clicked and we don't really have all of him. And we look at the actions in our life and we recognize, I don't have that perspective because look at the fruit in my life. It's not Holy Spirit fruit, it's me, it's anxiety, it's frustration, it's, it's all of those things. It's not the peace of the Lord or the joy of the Lord, it's not walking in the Spirit. And so for the rest of us, do we see it? The rest of this room says, yeah, we've heard that one before. And maybe tonight something will click. Maybe tonight it'll be like, man, have I really surrendered everything to this? Did I really realize the call to follow Jesus was that radical? Was for me to lay down my life and my will? Did I really realize that? Was I sold some JV Christianity, Mardell's version coffee cup t-shirt Christianity that's just this easy, just believe these things, follow a couple steps, punch the card, and then I'm kind of in the Christian club? Did I buy into a lie? Do we see it? Secondly, do we believe it? And this is where it just gets me. 
um, all the time. Do we believe it? Do I really believe? I see the fruit of these men in Acts 5. Do I believe it? And I think the answer is in my actions. Well, how radically do I live? There are seasons where I live pretty radically. Honestly, if this wasn't my vocation, right? Like if I wasn't paid to be a pastor, I really worry about myself. I think that makes it even harder for me because I'm paid to do this. And so is it really coming from a heart thing or is this, right? Is it because I want to go home to my mansion and my, my jet, right? Um, no, I'm just kidding. I live in a trailer. Um, <laughs> but realistically, realistically, do you see it in your life? Everyone can walk out of here and say, okay, so the big point was, man, if I, want to, if I want to have this anatomy of a disciple, it's a radical call. Jesus' perspective was to come and die, pick up your cross and follow me. I see that. I see that that's his call. But do you believe it? Are you willing to suffer shame for his name and rejoice? Does it scare you to death? No, not does it scare you, because it scares everybody. Are you willing to, even though it's scary, to go and get in a super awkward conversation with a coworker, with a family member, with a classmate? Are you willing to go out of your way to love the person that's so hard to love, suffer that shame, that slight inconvenience? If God is, what if God is calling you? I don't know, this isn't a prophetic word over you. What if God is calling you out of your job and your vocation to a different calling? But your job and your vocation right now is pretty cush. And he's like, but I got something else for you. And you're like, but that is really uncomfortable. I don't want to do that. Right? Are we willing? Do we believe it? Is, is there action in our life? It's convicting for me. When was the last time you suffered shame for his name? We live in a culture. We live in a city that it is so easy to hide. Just be blend in Christianity. I mean, we can just be blend in conservative white Republican Christians. And that is a lie. That is not the gospel. That's not the body of Christ. And we can just kind of blend into this little. When was the last time you suffered shame for his name? And I would challenge you this next week as you're trying to apply believing that perspective that Christ really called you to pick up your cross and follow him. Do something hard. I don't know what that is. I'm excited to hear some stories next week. But I don't know what that is. But do something hard. I think half this room right now knows exactly what that is for them personally. And they're thinking, ah, oh, dang it. We get to do that and then we get to walk out and say, praise God. Man, I don't want to go on the whole tangent of like brothers in other countries. But man, brothers in other countries are getting burned alive because of what they believe. Right, We live in Fort Worth, and I don't want to do a whole thing about, man, these people are, are getting martyred for their faith, but man, people are getting martyred for their faith. And right now, at least in 2015, February of 2015, it's pretty cush to just kind of blend in. Do you believe it? Third application for this, this perspective is um, be steadfast. <clears throat> be steadfast in this. The narrative of Acts 5, right? We're talking about, man, what does it look like to be a disciple? We see some crazy, awesome characteristics in Acts 5. These radical guys who rejoice, have joy outside of their circumstances. Their perspective dictates their action. Their perspective was they saw this Jesus ask them to come and die. 
He wanted all of them. He wanted them to pick up their cross. He wanted all of them. Do we see that? Do we see that that's the call? Do we believe that that really is the call? Dictated by our actions. And then can we be steadfast in that? Can this be a community of people that continually encourages each other? Right? We continue to show up on Wednesday night with our wounds, licking our wounds, but also rejoicing. Man, I am sharing faith, my faith, just getting beat up over the head by my next door neighbor with it. But I'm going to keep persistently loving that, loving that guy, loving that girl. I'm going to keep walking out my faith in this awkward place. I'm, gonna, I'm walking away from a relationship that I really want because I know that's not really glorifying to God. Can we be steadfast in that way and run that race? Um, that's my encouragement to us. That's um, where, uh, where I think I'm so challenged by the anatomy of a disciple. So far we've seen a disciple is one who encounters Jesus and a disciple is one who has perspective the perspective of Jesus. Do you know that perspective? Do you believe that perspective? Let me pray. Father, um, Father, uh, for those who are in this room who maybe aren't quite sure about this whole thing, um, maybe they haven't, uh, they're not all in yet. Man, praise God that they're here. Uh, would, they, would they hear the good news that, um, that they don't have to learn the new Christian language or or, or punch their card enough times for attendance at this thing, um, that, that you take broken people just as we are. You don't leave us that way, but you take us just as we are. But you want all of us. Would they hear, would they see, would they experience you in a way tonight where maybe they take that step and say, Lord, you're, I think you're better. How I've been trying, it isn't really working, and I think maybe your way is better. Uh, would you also encourage them to remain in this community for as long as they need to, that they would feel welcome in this place, surrounded, hopefully, Lord, by people who are raising our hands as we're getting just whooped on. Whatever the awkward, suffering, discomfort, Lord, that you bring pales in comparison to our purpose in bringing you glory. Pales in comparison. Father, ruin our lives with this truth. May this not just be another time we hear that God wants all of us and then pack it up and go home. Uh, Would you ruin our life for this? That everything else just doesn't taste the way way you do, Lord, the way your truth does. Um, That we could never go back, that we could never unhear this, that, that as your word is spoken over us and we hear the words of Jesus Christ in Matthew 10, say, come, pick up your cross and follow me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Father, may this be a room full of people that on a daily basis continue to find our life in you. We are sealed and saved once and for all, but would we grow in Christ, finding our name, finding our identity, finding our purpose and our joy in you. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.